I intended to do that. Be gone this Sunday and next Sunday, and they're coming back sometime after that. I know that they'll be in the office uh, shortly after that. They'll be gone a little over a week, and uh, I'm glad that, you know, I'm really glad that our pastor takes vacation. I've known a few, in fact, myself a few times have been guilty of not taking vacations. I'm really glad he does. Uh, the stress of, uh, as you, in your job as well, you know, you ha- sometimes you just have to go away. And the problem with that as a pastor is sometimes when you just go away, your phone is still on and you're always on call. And so sometimes it's good if you could just leave. And in this case, leave the country and spend a little <laughs> And I was also thinking maybe, maybe the Sunday they come back, it would be great, men. You know, if you've got that loud shirt that makes your kids embarrassed, the Hawaiian one, you got one of those? You go, That'd be a really nice token the Sunday they come back, wouldn't it? If we all showed up in those... Rachel, you can't say anything if I do it, okay? It's, it'll be planned. They'll get the message immediately upon walking in that we're, our hearts are with them in, in the Caribbean. <laughs> Service team is going to come and receive from you an offering that you brought along with you. And if this is your first time with us and you've already filled out that slip of paper, this is the time to throw it in. I'm really glad that we can give back to God. Uh, regardless of what it is that God has given you, He has enabled you to give back to Him. And so this morning, as you give back to Him, it is a sign and a symbol of trust that I'm going to give to God and He is going to give back to me and, and provide for me. God, does not, God is not incapable of supplying in any recession or depression. He is more than capable of supplying our needs. And so as we give this morning, we are saying in our hearts, God, I'm giving back to you because I know you're capable of supplying my needs. Would you pray with me? God, now we give back to you knowing that you are capable and able and have supplied our needs already. And you will continue to do that. God, we give back to you knowing that you will provide bonuses and raises, jobs and better jobs. We know that you will provide where we don't seem to see a way at this point in time. God, we give back to you knowing that you will cause blessings to come upon us because we've given to you not necessarily monetary blessings, but blessings nonetheless, that you will bless us spiritually, that you will bless us relationally, that you will bless us financially. We give back to you now, God, as a sign that we trust you with our lives and with our money. And we thank you for everything you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. A runner training for a marathon. And then the unthinkable. His injuries are critical. It will take years of healing and physical therapy before he can again run competitively. If you're going through a separation or divorce, in many ways your emotional injuries are as deep and painful as someone who is critically injured. Even so, you'll find many people who think you should bounce back quickly. The two of you are never going to work it out. Just let me introduce you to someone. I know plenty of ladies that would love to meet you. It's been two months since he left. You need to get on with your life. Clearly, this is not the kind of help you need when you or someone you know is going through divorce. That's why we offer our special divorce care group. Divorce care is a warm, caring place. Each week, you'll get video-based information from top experts on how to heal. Here's a sample of the practical counsel they share. 
Depression is a natural response to loss. There's so much value in this season of your life. Not one tear is lost. Not one sadness will be disregarded by God. He will take every bit of that and create something you will have never imagined. Our weekly divorce care group is a place where you can be around people who understand what you're going through. You'll find out you're not alone and there is hope for your future. The divorce care is perfect. It's like, wow, these people, they're all in this together. And I could see that, yes, they made it through it and they're okay. And not only are they okay, but God's using them. It's people encouraging each other and saying either with their eyes or with their mouth, I understand your pain. Let's walk through this together. So it's like, I'm not alone. Thank you for giving. We've been announcing divorce care for a few weeks now. Uh, divorce care has been operating in our church for some time. A lady who did not attend the church had been coming in and doing that for us, but there was some scheduling issues and there's going to be a long gap between uh, times when we were able to do that and the Lord prompted a few people's hearts to say, we think we'd like to lead that. And so divorce care, as the screen says, is starting uh, February 10th. I think that's this Wednesday. It'll be at 630 here in the building. And I'm really grateful for that. Would you all turn in the direction? I know we did this Wednesday night, but you can never pray too much for someone, right? I'm kind of convinced of that. You can never pray too much. So just kind of turn your and, and put your hand out in the direction of Dave and Darlene in the back and let's pray for them in this ministry. God, we now pray for those who are going to be attending Wednesday night in divorce care and ask that your touch would be upon them. Lord, we ask that your spirit would lead and guide people who are in a difficult season of life and that you would bring them here Wednesday evening. Touch Dave and Darlene as they lead this ministry. May your spirit rest upon them. May your anointing be rich in their lives. May they be overflowing with love and compassion and have words that come directly from you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus went to the house of regular church attenders one day to attend a party. Nothing else makes any sense this morning if you don't know that these were people who regularly attended services, sometimes several times a week. They sang in the choir, they were ushers, they were small group leaders, they were cantors, and they did other things their synagogue required of them. This would be no ordinary meal that Jesus would share with them. Jesus went to the home of a church leader so that he could eat a meal together with them. He often did things just like this unafraid to associate with people who often had impertinent questions, questions that were annoying. You know, the kind of questions that seventh grade boys ask about aliens landing and things like that, that teachers suffer through, but dads just kind of flick you upside the back of the head and say, knock it off. Those kinds of questions. But there wouldn't be any of those kinds of questions that evening. This time, no one asked a meddling question that always seemed to plague Jesus, at least not that we know. We know that they reclined at a table and they ate there as was their custom. Interested in a number of things, but not the number of angels sitting on the tip of a pencil. They were interested in things different than that. No doubt this was great fun. 
People liked to hang around Jesus and this night would be no different. Probably a great conversation because we know that Jesus was a great communicator and a great listener and that's the making for a great evening. They probably had a lot of fun because fun seemed to follow Jesus wherever he went. While they were reclining there at a table, there were people coming and going and servants bringing in food and other sorts of things and, and all sorts of things taking place. And there were lots of important people there and lots of people who had on kind of funny robes and uh, all sorts of things like that. People dressed with funny headdresses, which you maybe have seen in pictures, and they would do these things to try to impress each other. Don't look down your noses too much. You chose what you wore this morning to impress someone, maybe even yourself. Maybe you just chose your clothes to embarrass your kids. I don't know. That's what, that's what I do in the morning. What will embarrass Ben the most? They sat, sat around the table eating and enjoying good conversation and slipping in amongst them were other people who kind of looked like servants. And a lady slipped in amongst the servants and went entirely unnoticed. Nobody knew what was taking place. Jesus learned the names of the important people and, and did something that others would not expect. He learned the names of the unimportant people also. He talked to those people and shared some things with them as well and asked them questions. They were kind of used to that, even though this was scandalous because Jesus engaged in that kind of subversive, scandalous behavior of daring to show compassion to people who others didn't always show compassion to them. They're enjoying a good, good food and good beverages. And that's the part I'm not supposed to mention in Pentecostal service. I don't have time to explain that way. Or the courage either, quite frankly. <laughs> Jesus and these church people didn't even notice a woman who slipped in who was dressed just like the rest of the servants. She didn't say much. She did not want to draw attention to herself. But as they were reclining there at the table, she came in also. Wouldn't have been proper for her to say much or draw attention to herself. She could hardly contain her emotion. This sort of thing happens a lot when people come in contact with Jesus. Their emotion seems to spill out and it happened all the time when you read stories about Jesus. No one really noticed or paid attention, however, that this emotional woman who had so much pent up inside slipped in amongst the guests. It's kind of amazing that no one stopped her from coming into the house or no one stopped her during the dining time. They sat there in the courtyard of this house because that was their custom Sat there in the courtyard eating and it was open air probably above them. There were rooms on either side and you had to enter into the house into some rooms in order to get there. Uh, Probably an area right in the middle of the house that was a very large area where they all had gathered. A beautiful place with gardens all around, people coming and going and servants bringing things in. And this was no ordinary meal but a great banquet. Sounds like a dream come true, doesn't it, Josh? Lots of food and ice cream. And, you know, when parents are gone, ice cream and pizza rule the day, don't they, my friend? (laughs) My grandpa once told me ice cream's a meal. I'm just saying. (laughs) I need the CD to make a few changes before his dad comes back. (laughs) This was no ordinary meal, but a great banquet and a, a large host of people were there. You might have been there if you had been alive at that point in time. Everybody who was anybody was there. And this was no potluck. Nothing against potlucks per se. 
every mother's opportunity to try a recipe that the rest of the family won't eat. I speak now of my own mother and my own experience. So this woman slipped into the courtyard day after daylight hours or maybe toward the end of daylight hours and managed to get into the center of the house where the gardens were there in a typical Roman design because all of the latest people and latest houses were built that way. All of the important and wealthy people had houses that were like that. And as they reclined at the table, the woman came to the feet of Jesus, not in a presumptuous way, not saying anything at all, not asking impertinent questions, but bringing along the box that she had brought with her, box that she had been allowed to slip in, looking like a servant carrying that box, a box probably not of enormous size, but of some size at least. And when she got to the feet of Jesus and sat there, no longer could she contain her emotion. The pent-up frustrations, the hurt, the economic toil, the psychological confusions which had set into her heart, a lifetime of disrespect all spilled out. All of the pain and the things that some of the people in that room had said about her all spilled out at that very moment. She couldn't help herself, but she burst into tears in the presence of Jesus. I've been there maybe... You've been there too. You come to Jesus in worship or prayer or driving, listening to good music. And by good music, I simply mean anything that brings you in contact with the Holy Spirit. And without notice, tears begin to flow down your face. It's kind of hazardous if you're driving through the Marquette Interchange in downtown Milwaukee. I've done that. Nevertheless, it's not always from hurt or pain. Sometimes it's out of a release from that pain. Sometimes it's tears of joy. Sometimes it's something else that's spilling out of your heart. There are the burdens and freedom that comes from being in contact with Jesus. And as her emotions spilled out of her soul, it dripped all over the feet of Jesus. Because tears are a language of the soul. Language that only the Holy Spirit truly understands and interprets. Fortunately for her, The Holy Spirit knew what was going on and spoken to Jesus. The Bible indicates that Jesus ministered through the power of the Spirit. And what took place then was no doubt a word of knowledge combined with a word of wisdom. And he knew exactly what was going on and exactly what needed to be done. Sized up the situation and didn't say anything to her at all. In fact, he still now does that. He reads the pages of your heart and your life. And he knows what's going on. Perhaps other things were taking place that day. Most likely this was two separate stories that you read about in the Bible. At least two different times probably when a woman anointed Jesus' feet. But this time her tears just poured out all over the feet of Jesus. Kind of, kind of like mascara running at homecoming after a mid-dance breakup. It's a good one, isn't it? But our story goes on and I must not linger. Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50 tell us about this story. The story that you may know well. While I've added a few details, trust me, I've done through historical background and profiling methods. Well, after all, that advanced education should be good for something, shouldn't it? The woman cried all over the feet of Jesus. The dirt from the dusty roads that it collected upon his feet began to run together. Run from the tears that dripped down his 
from her eyes onto his feet. And the tears of the woman, starting in the beginning, unnoticed, but very soon the entire house began to notice what was happening. She took the box that she had brought along with her. She opened that box and took out perhaps a vial. Perhaps the incense was just in the box. And as she opened it, she let her own hair down. She poured what was in the box all over the feet of Jesus, mingling with the tears, and took her hair, began to wipe the feet of Jesus. Perfume that was there in the box poured out all over his feet. It was soothing and refreshing to him, reviving the woman's soul and causing the entire house to stand still. Her sobbing quieted the house. And now the incense was refreshing it. Not waiting, the whole house captivated watching what was happening. Right there, all eyes turned upon Jesus and the woman who sat at his feet. A scandalous moment. A scandalous moment that absolutely nobody understood exactly what was happening. Her actions, there were, were no tedious or trivial gesture. It was a revival of sorts, though it was doubtful that the woman had ever truly been alive. Revi- because spiritual death is a, it's a terrorist holding the soul hostage. Spiritual life requires that you must burst through the tears. And with tears to get there, life requires more than just a mere catharsis or a, a bursting of the emotional bag. Spiritual life requires that you come in direct contact with Jesus and that Jesus do something amazing and spectacular in your life when you come in contact with Him. And she was reaching out, wanting very much for Jesus to do something incredible in her heart, in her life. And as she poured out her tears and poured out the perfume and the incense upon His feet... And dried all of that with her hair. She was wanting, pouring out her life and her heart and everything that was in her heart so that Jesus could take that and could do something with it. She had heard the stories of people coming in contact with Jesus. She thought that maybe he could help. Maybe she thought that her soul was empty. Maybe she knew that there was something there that she needed to pour out before Jesus because the poet William James Wilson says in his poem Illusions, empty is an illusion of the soul, a mere distracting the soul's reflection, protecting the heart from true revelation, bringing chaos under control. Empty is smoke, clouding vision, time for an escape from the rubble, a mask to hide the trouble, delay of decision. Yet the hollow is not unfilled, but overwhelmed with tears that we ignore and fraught with years of losing war. The enemy's myths... For a soul killed. Desperation pushes desire beyond the show. Illusion is unmasked where despair is overthrown. The heart plays a concert of love tones. And the cross sets another heart aglow. 
illusions where sometimes we think our hearts are completely empty, but the heart is never fully empty. It always has something. We just don't always like what's there. And so we keep ourselves from looking inside of our hearts to see what's really there so that we don't have anything to pour out before Jesus, we think, because we're empty. Yet empty is an illusion. There's always something there. We just don't always like what we find. There's a sense of desperation in what he did. There's a sense of desperation in her coming to Jesus. A sense of hope. Maybe if I pour myself out before Jesus, it will matter. Her desperation was matched by her effort. She couldn't afford to hold back and she did not. She had to turn the corner of desperation in her heart and see hope and understand that Jesus was there to do something about her situation. This was clearly not just about her. This was clearly about him and her together. Worship is never about me. Worship is never fully about him. Worship is about us together. What I bring to him and what he then brings to me, it's about the union that comes from the two of us together. That's what worship is all about. It's not just about other things. It's about adjusting our relationship every week, whether or not she was worshiping in actuality. That may be up for grabs, but certainly this was a symbolism of the heart. Something poured out. She showed Jesus an ultimate act of hospitality that day. In a way that that's what worship is. My opening my heart and hospitality to Jesus saying, come in and make your home right here in my heart. That's what that's what she had in mind when she came to Jesus to open up her heart and say, make this make this your home, Jesus, pouring out of oil. It's a great sense of hospitality. And Jesus made sure that he remarked about the hospitality. He made sure that he remarked about that, saying that the tears that were spilled, the fresh oil that was poured out upon his feet, the kisses of greeting. That's a Middle Eastern thing, by the way. That they were all hospitality being shown to him. You ever had a Middle Eastern friend? I have, uh, Rachel has one, and she used to come to, that friend used to come to our church gatherings, and I met the parents, and every time I met her mother, this girl's mother, she would kiss me on both cheeks. A little bit odd, but at least not our cultural custom. It's a Middle Eastern kind of thing. Didn't stop her from doing it. I knew that she was greeting me and welcoming me in. I wonder if that's what this woman did when she kissed the feet. Of... Okay, this is time for a quick poll. Ever thought, gee, I should just kiss someone's feet? Okay, now imagine that they've been walking around the dusty desert in sandals. Ever thought at that point in time after a full week at camp, gee, I should just kiss that boy's feet who hasn't showered all week. I haven't either. Making this sense of hospitality so incredibly love-filled. Or she dried his, his feet with her tears, wet them with her tears, and then dried it with her hair and poured out some oil upon his feet. And, and the Bible says that she continued to kiss his feet. 
ultimate sense of hospitality. But then the whispers started. Some whispered about the excessive display. Some whispered perhaps about the cost of the perfume, but I'm convinced that's a different story. This page of Jesus' story was filled with people whispering about the woman and Jesus. Some whispered in a scandalous way. How could the prophet let a sinner touch him? If he really is a prophet, wouldn't he know who she was? And on and on the whispering went. The disciples were still newer to following Jesus. They weren't yet used to these kinds of things. And they weren't yet used to Jesus looking into the heart of people and knowing what was happening. The crowds were not yet used to this teacher. This teacher who would show respect to people who usually didn't get respect. To sinners. The teachers of the law were not used to teachers accepting this kind of of display. This over the top display. Unless it directly built them up, of course. Unless it patted them on the back. And now you must remember whose house they are in. They are in the house of a church member. Remember that I told you nothing else would make sense if you didn't keep that in mind. Jesus pointed to only one of their actions and singled that one out to discuss. And finally, the host could stand it no longer and took the whispering and made it public and asked Jesus one question. He was just doing the job of a good host, perhaps he thought. Took it upon himself to ask Jesus, "Um, Jesus, maybe you're new to these parts. Do you not know who this woman is? Don't you know she's sinned? Uh, Luke cleans this up for us when he says, don't you, don't you know how she has sinned? Pastor Mark touched on a little bit last week. There is no doubt this is a prostitute. And the teacher of the law is asking the synagogue member, the person who regularly attends, ask Jesus. Don't you know that there's a prostitute who's groveling at your feet with her tears and with her emotion? Don't you know how much she has sinned? The host knows about the woman. I'll not venture any guesses as to how. Though she's cleaned up to go to the house of a church leader, yet it's the same woman who walked the streets and they know that. Church leader knew who she was. I wanted to bring truth to bear to the situation. That's a good internet phrase if you've been searching some sites. He thought she needed to be confronted with the law. Law before grace, he said. He thought she needed the prophetic voice. I know that because of what he said. He said, if you're a prophet, you would have known. Indicating you're not a prophet, so you're not doing your job as a prophet, so I'm going to do the job of a prophet. And I'm going to bring truth to bear on this situation. He thought she needed tough love. She needed to be shunned so that she would learn. He thought she needed to stop disobeying God by touching the prophet. But none of these things compared to what Jesus did, because none of those things truly compare to the touch of the Savior. I wonder about the pain 
Not of hers. Of His. Jesus, Jesus was there in the Old Testament when the temple was built. He was there when the teachers began to minister, when the prophets began to prophesy, when the priests began their ministry. He was there when the wise began their ministry. In fact, He's the one who implemented it all. He was there when the Israelites decided that they would not wander away and the Pharisees were instituted. He was there when the Pharisees began to keep the law as unto God. He was there when the Pharisees took up the idea that the law should be kept so that they would never lose their land again and go into exile. And He was the one who saw it all take place and in fact had a hand in it all going down and now all of those things came back to the Savior as he looked and he saw how they had corrupted it all and now he sits in the house of the heir to spiritual perfection and spiritual greatness and he hears the man asking how could you let a sinner pour herself out like that The one with perfection sat amongst the imperfection, yet was judged. I've sat in the seat opposite the judgmental, because they judge everyone. I've been the object of their judgmentalism. Is that a word? I'm almost a PhD, I can make up words. (laughs) Did Did you hear the one about the PhD who thought he was wrong? Yeah, me either. (laughs) I've sat in the seat opposite the ones who are sitting in judgment. Because judgmentalism knows no boundaries. It flows to everyone. And I've wondered sometimes, is this what it's like to be truly not walking with Jesus? Because if they're saying this to me, what would they say to somebody who they really thought was a sinner? Or do they think I'm really... What do they think? How is it that perfection was questioned about being touched by imperfection? Shouldn't the perfection Jesus himself be the one who did the asking of questions? But Hebrews would tell us it's all a part of his perfection to be subjected to this situation. And humbly, he learned and humbly, he corrected the church with a parable. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't always do that very humbly. Correct the church. I sometimes sound just like the person who is trying to correct me. Something wrong about that. Something wrong about correcting a lack of love with a lack of love. Humbly, he corrected the church with a parable about two people. Now, one person owed $50 and another person owed thousands of dollars. They both went to their creditor and the creditor forgave both of them. The one who only owed $50 was thankful, but not really. After all, it's only 50 bucks. It mow a couple of lawns and you could knock it off if you really wanted to. But then there was the one who owed thousands of dollars. And thousands of dollars is certainly a lot worse. You don't just walk in and say, hey, I owe you $10,000. What do you say? Just wipe that off the books. Yet the creditor did that for both of them. Now, which one was more thankful? It's all Jesus really had to say. 
My fear for you is not that you would be like the woman, pouring your heart and your soul out before Jesus and finding a renewal. Sometimes means very emotional moment. But I'm not afraid of that kind of outpouring the emotion to God. My fear is not about pouring yourself out before Him. My fear is not about you looking inside and saying there's something here that I should pour out before Jesus. Hurts from the past week or things I've done that I shouldn't have done. My fear is not that you would do that. My fear is that you would be one who is in the crowd. That you'd become like everyone else in the house, a spectator watching the person who poured themselves out before God. My fear is that people are either spectators or participants. They're either seeking God or they're not seeking Him. They're either pouring themselves out before God or they're not pouring themselves out before God. My fear is that people are either spectators or they really dig in with God. And my fear is that you either go after God or you do not. My fear is that you would go as far as the teachers of the law, the church people. That you would rather not have sinners touching Jesus or touching you or the pastor. That you would rather not have the alcoholic lose the battle of alcoholism on Saturday and sit next to you on Sunday. My fear is that you would rather not have the seekers who seek, but sometimes do that very imperfectly. This is the natural outgrowth of people who are spectators. Because the natural tendency of every spectator is to stop going after God. A mentor of mine once said that you are either a spectator or a participant in worship. And if you're not participating, you're just watching. And if you're just watching, you will eventually look down on those who are participating. And that is my fear. That I would be one who would come to Jesus and wouldn't really go after Him. That I would be one who would come to Jesus and would not really dig in. My fear is that I would become one who would not come to Jesus and pour myself out before Him. That I would not pour out the oil of my heart upon Him as worship. That I would not try to pour my love out upon Him. My fear is that you might be in the same boat. My fear is that you would not, that, that you would become an empty candle just burning away without anything else really happening. As you see, if you smell any kind of scent in the room, it doesn't come from the candles. These are empty candles. The scent in the room is coming from a different source. And my fear is that you would become an empty candle. But you, you're not an empty candle capable of burning. You are one who has a sweet aroma before the Lord. Just as 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says it, that you are aroma of Christ amongst the, from God. You're the aroma of those who have been saved. You're the aroma of those who are who to love, give life to those who know Jesus Christ. The aroma in the room is, is from the sources of Jesus Christ. But you are not one of those who is an empty candle. You bring your hurt and your love. You bring your pain this morning and all of your gains. You bring your everything in your heart and you pour it out before Him. You bring all of those things to the Lord and long for His touch. You come to the Savior this morning and you know that Jesus still is capable of touching you. You bring your frustration from the week or maybe all of the gains from the week and you lay it down at the feet of Jesus. You bring the hurts that you had to go through from going to a funeral and you bring it to the feet of Jesus. You bring all of the great business dealings that you had this week and you bring it to the feet of Jesus. You bring all of those things, all of that frustration, all of the 
good things and you pour it out before Him like love being poured out as a drink offering from the Old Testament. You bring your accomplishments and great business dealings and you drench the feet of Jesus with it. You bring all of those cheers and hopes and tears, all of your fears, and you drench the feet of Jesus with it. You come face to face with Jesus because you are not an empty candle. Today, you are not just a participant. You bring your joy and your sorrow, your hurt and your victory. You bring your happiness and your sorrow. You bring your optimism and your depression before the Lord because you are not an empty candle. You bring your love like oil for His feet. You bring your praise like wine for Him to drink because you're not an empty candle. The water of your heart spills out before Him. You stand in worship of the awesome wonder of Jesus because you are not an empty candle. You come and you meet Him at the feet of Jesus just like the woman of old because you are not an empty candle. You pour your love out before Him and you pour your love on Him. You lavish from the depths of your soul upon Him the innermost part of you. You bring all of those things and you jump up and you grab a hold of Jesus and you squeeze every drop of love out of Him and every drop of love from your heart gets poured out upon Jesus because you are not an empty candle. You bring your unforgiveness and your bitterness and you pour it out before Him and you let Him reach down and touch you because you are not an empty candle. She didn't know exactly what to say or how she felt couldn't begin to tell Jesus his love meant. She was at a loss for words. She showed the passion in her heart. Because there's a way to show the passion of your heart. How can you truly express it? Fulfilling the deepest longings of your heart. Other than to pour yourself out before you. Pour your love on Jesus, your deepest friend. I don't know exactly how to say exactly how I feel. I can't begin to tell you what your love has meant. The song says I'm at a loss for words. But there's a way to show this passion in my heart. I'm not an empty candle. So I pour my love upon your feet like wine for you to drink. Like oil upon your feet, like wine for you to drink, like water from my heart, I'll pour my love on you. Praises like. And there, no doubt, are things in your heart that you've been holding on to this morning you've brought in this place it's about time those things spilled out onto the feet of Jesus because you're not an empty candle you're a child of God beloved by him his daughter his son he looks down on you and he says you're my child the things you've gone through I want you to lift them up to me I want you to pour them out before me things that have beset your heart this week maybe over a period of weeks I want you to pour them out before me 
And as you do that, you may decide that you want to stand and sing along. You may decide that you want to bust both fists into the air and let God know how you feel about Him. You may decide that you want to come and kneel before Him at the altar. You may decide that you want to pray with someone. Because the Bible says that sometimes we ought to do that. That we should leave our sacrifice before God and go and pray with somebody where we think maybe there's some ill feelings. The Bible says we should bring all of the things in our heart. We should come and become great before God by becoming humble before Him and letting Him touch us. Praise is like a view. I'll lavish mine on you till every drop is gone. I'll pour my love like oil upon your feet, like wine for you to drink, like water from my heart. I'll pour my love on you. Praise is like perfume. Lavish mine on you till every drop is gone. I'll pour my that's different from the one you've had before. He has a story to rewrite some things in your life, in your heart, and in fact in our church. He has a new page he wants to write. He wants that to begin in your life by you pouring yourself out before him. All the good and the bad that you bring, he wants you to pour it out as praise and worship to him. He wants to receive from you your patience and endurance as a gift offered up to him. Because you are not an empty candle. But you are a sweet aroma before Him. This morning, that is the Spirit speaking to you. I want you to, do, I want you to claim that promise. Hands in the air, if that's you, and just reach up to God and claim the promise. It's symbolic of you saying, God, I'm going after you. Because this is what you have for me this morning. A new story. A new page in my story. A new chapter that you want to write. So I'm going to pour myself out before you. I'll pour my like oil upon your feet. Like wine for you to drink. Like water from my heart. Pour my love on you. Praise is like perfume. I'll lavish mine on you. Till every drop is gone. I'll pour my mine on you till every drop is gone I'll pour my love on you it's altogether possible that you came into this place and heard these words this morning and you're saying there's chains in my life and I need those to be set free I need those chains to be broken 
that's you this morning, I'd ask that you would do something bold and courageous. I'd ask that you would stand where you are and put your hands in the air to God. Something in your life that's a chain that you need Him to just break free and break loose. It doesn't have to be an addiction. It could be a sorrow. It could be a hurt. It could be some sort of pain or bitterness. This morning, He wants to set you free from that. It takes courage to be set free from God. So you have to come to Him and admit that you have something. That's you this morning. Would you just stand before God, hands in the air, and say, God, would you set me free? If you see someone standing, would you go and pray with them? who are people of prayer. Men and women of prayer come and pray with those who are in front. this to you. There is freedom. If you're thirsty, you need something. Here's refreshing. He offers this to you. There is freedom. He brought in a whole host of things. He offers it to you. Let it spill out before him. Pour it out before him and let him set you free. Perhaps this morning you've come into this place and you've heard these words and you said, you know, I'm a little bit like that woman. Come to Jesus and there's so much in my life that needs to be taken care of. Things I've done that I shouldn't have done. The Bible says that those things that you can find forgiveness and release through Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've brought those things in here this morning and just become a part of your life and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you don't walk with Him on a daily basis. You've seen yourself in this story and the Lord says that He wants to do something for you this morning. He wants to reach down and forgive you. But He needs you to do something. He needs you to confess those sins, to say, that's me and I need His forgiveness. This morning, if that's you and you're in need of forgiveness, need of beginning a life with Him, a life and a journey of forgiveness, to reach out and take that this morning. And if that's the case, would you just look up and make eye contact with me?
your hearts. You see the good things we brought in. You see the hurt. You see the sin. And you see the pain. This morning we ask that you would come and touch us all, each and every one. Those who are in need of beginning a new chapter of their life and those who are in need of turning the page. God, you this morning have that intent. Put your hand down to us and give us freedom.
says, thank you for coming and visiting us this morning. I trust that those who are in need of a touch from you received what they came for. Thank you for walking among us, touching us. Lord, may your touch stay with us throughout the week. And we leave from this place touched anew by you and your story and what you have for us. May we leave from this place different than when we came in. May we leave from this place transformed so that we can transform the world. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for coming. If you are in need of prayer, as always, there will be people up front who love to pray for you and pray with you. You just need somebody to put their arm around you for a moment and say, Jesus loves you. People up here, you can come forward and just kneel before God and that will take place. Prayer warriors up here for a few more minutes. If you are in need of something from God, that you have the chance to receive that. Really, really glad that you came this morning. You weren't here by accident. Jesus planned for you to be here. It didn't just happen into this place. He knew that you would be here on this morning. And he had something that he wanted to speak into your heart. And I trust that you've received that this morning. Thanks for coming. If you could please slip up quietly and let your fellowship take place outside these doors so that those who are still in prayer have some moments with God. I appreciate that. Thank you.